And now, a word about our sponsor. The Kinky Boys podcast is brought to you by How to Kill a Superhero, the BDSM book series by author Pablo Green. If you've ever fantasized about a juicy muscle beast encased in lycra, bound and gagged, then your moment has arrived. This is the book series for fans of superhero fetish, bondage and transformation fetishes. The books are available on paperback and Kindle at the Amazon store in 13 countries. Book 3, Transformation Fetish, launches this fall. You can also buy autographed copies of the paperbacks, t-shirts, spandex wrestling singlets and bondage rope at howtokillersuperhero.net. Kinky Boys listeners can use the discount code KINKYBOYS, all the one word, for 15% off any order. Shipping is available worldwide. These books are pervy as pervy can be. How to Kill a Superhero, there's a power rising inside you. The Kinky Boys Podcast. Exploring one kink at a time. Hello and welcome to the Kinky Boys Podcast. I'm Craig. I'm Adam and this is our fourth attempt. Yes, technology has not been kind. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have a renowned kink educator um, and host of the Dart's Domain podcast, Dart. Hello guys, how are you doing? Good, thanks, how are you? Good. The, the Good. fourth time around I think it's going to be the best. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, hey. Well, I have to tell you, it's very funny you, you, with the technical issues. If it makes you feel any better, the very first Arts Domain podcast I did was when I was interviewing Midori. And we went 30 minutes in the whole entire interview. Uh, and it was at that point I realized I never plugged the uh, microphones into the uh, into the machine. Oh, so, no. Uh, yeah. So you want to talk about a technical issue. I, I really kind of nailed it the first time around. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. But, yeah, so... Dart for our audience. Dart is here to talk about two big fetishes. One is um, rope bondage, which he's got quite a bit of an experience with, and the other is um, with forced identity and clothing. So forced appearances, which can include clothing, hairstyles, shaving, piercing, yeah, mm-hmm. yum. <laughs> yeah. I think this is gonna be fun. Choosing to make your boy a little bit more muscly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All the fun things in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, let's start with bondage. So bondage is quite a common fetish. It's um, one of the most well known. And yeah, so Dart, how did you get into bondage? Okay. Um, my personal experience with it, and I think a lot of kinksters can kind of identify um, with this, I started feeling an inclination toward bondage when I was a little kid. Um, I think I can honestly say that I, I felt excited by bondage before I even knew what my sexuality was. Um, yeah. And I know some people, yeah, so you're nodding your head, so you kind of get it. Back when I was a kid, we used to I used to watch the old uh, 60s Batman series and had no concept of just how campy it was. And, <laughs> but all of the uh, things that were being done to Robin, yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to have I wanted to have done to me. Um, and I also wanted to be the person doing it to Robin. Um, yep. and I just, I was, I was fixated on it. And I, I think I also remember watching a few episodes of Gunsmoke and seeing the Cowboys tied up by the Indians. And I just, I could not 
take my eyes away. So that was really my, my earliest, uh, experience and inclination, uh, towards it. And, um, I guess, you know, I, I came out of the closet a little bit later than a lot of people. I didn't come out until I was in my early twenties. 21, I think, is when I finally came out. I can't remember. So, so many, many, many eons ago. And I was really, really, well, I was really, I was really closeted about being, uh, into bondage. You know, all my friends were into the mainstream vanilla sex. And on top of that, um, AIDS was still very much a plague that was killing, uh, people we knew left and right. So there was this hypervigilance on being extra, extra safe, almost to the point of uh, being abstinent. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, I sure as hell can't explore this kind of dark stuff that I'm into because, you know, talk about unsafe. I mean, you know, who knows what could happen to me, which in turn got me more aroused and I still found outlets oh, yes. to explore. Yeah. Fun. So, <laughs> but there was a, uh, there was a magazine, um, and it was in a very uh, kind of crude pamphlet form way back when called Bounty Gag Magazine. And when I was living in uh, West Hollywood, there was a bookstore we had there called the Different Light Bookstore. Mm-hmm. And in the alternative sexuality section of the, of the where all the magazines were uh, located, there was Bounty Gag Magazine. And I remember like when I'd go over there with all my friends, I would kind of like sneakingly go over to that corner of the magazine rack <laughs> and look at all the pictures uh, and read the stories of the guys tied up. And finally, my uh, this one friend of mine said, are you into that? And I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, good for you. That's so cool that you're doing something different. That's, oh, my God. And it was kind of the first time that I finally, you know, like celebrated. Like, oh, yeah, I, I like being tied up. And I, I want to tie up guys. And that was kind of what launched me into the exploration that, I, you know, led to where I am today. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's funny how it moves on. Because I had a relatively similar experience with um, the camp TV shows that you grew up watching. Uh, with me, it was things like Power Rangers. <gasps> yes, Power Rangers. Skin uh, tight, spandex. Getting tied up by generic other person from that week, also in skin tight spandex or a rubber suit. Right. And yeah. shockingly, I turned out the way I did. Oh, yeah. And then, rather than magazines in the magazine shop, we, with me, it was just internet groups, like mm-hmm. the old Yahoo group sites. Oh, yeah. Finding all sorts of fun, manipulated and stolen pictures from TV programs, including Batman and Robin from the 60s. Oh. With stories attached to it, and then suddenly going, you know what? This is fun. I would like to do this. And then eventually, five years later, coming out. So, history it's, repeats itself. It, it's funny that you mentioned the internet. Now, guys, don't laugh at me, but, you know, when I was your age, we didn't really have the internet. I had 976 phone numbers. You know, I mean, we had the internet. The internet did exist back then, but I think you know, it ran on coal. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think if I had had the, because the one thing about exploring this stuff on the internet and seeing pictures is you can do it in the privacy of your own home and you can do it behind the perceived safety of your computer monitor. Mm. So, and you can basically, I mean, we see this on sites all the time like Recon and, and stuff like that. You can kind of portray yourself as something that you're not. Um, or you can also, you can also, um, reveal the more darker sides of yourself to basically perfect strangers, you know, behind the, the safety of a keyboard. 
And I probably would have embraced my love of bondage a lot earlier had, you know, all the, the stuff on the internet been available mm. when I was really exploring it. There was a, you were talking about the, the, the TV shows. Now there was a, there was a show, I don't know if you guys ever had it in the UK, but we had a show called Profile, Profiler. Um, doesn't ring a bell. Sorry. Okay. It, um, the, the kind I'm trying to remember the, the, the star that was in it, cause she's really awesome, but, but it was the idea of, was, it, she was a, a profiler that was hired by the FBI to be able to, to locate who a serial killer was just based on the instincts and the, and the things that he would leave in his trail. And, and she was a bit psychic or intuitive in, in what she would pick up. The, show had all kinds of fantastic bondage scenes of the victims getting tied up and, and gagged with duct tape. The only thing that sucked is they all wound up getting killed. So that, yeah. so I would sit there and I would watch the show and then I would know what was coming and then I would turn the TV off because I'm like, okay, I don't want to see what happens next. I just, you know, this is what arouses me. Yeah. yeah. But it, I'm sort of having that at the moment with Dexter. I'd, oh yes, yes, yes. I, <laughs> People yes, say I watch around wrap table. Oh yeah, just, I know. Just stop there. Pause. <laughs> Put the scalpel down. Walk around. Unzip your trousers. There we go. Much oh, better. Yeah. It's better <laughs> in my head. Yes. Oh. Well, it's funny talking about our first experiences because mine was actually first started off in a bookshop. We had this Borders, which was one of those big warehouse bookshops. And you know, I used to go to the alternative sexuality section like you and get the erotic novels. And I mean, mm-hmm. the other major thing was. Your podcast. Oh, really? Your podcast and one or two others off iTunes, you know, the BDSM ones, hearing about you interviewing all the boot blacks, that, that, that really set me on my path. Oh. <laughs> well, well, thank you, uh, Craig. I'm, I'm honored that I got to play a part in that, so. <laughs> it's kind of funny because, um, and this is still something that's sort of surreal to me. Now, I, I Later in my life, you know, when I was in my late twenties, I started, is when I started doing the modeling for, for, um, Bound and Gag magazine and, and I was part of a, a website that still exists called CapturedGuys.com. And when we, when, when I first started getting involved with them, um, pictures of bondage on the internet was kind of a, a relatively new thing. So we really had, had high traffic, um, visitations to all of our pictures and we did, you know, I'm not going to say the, the bondage was terribly amazing, but but we you know did some pretty. I mean, I look back on the bondage I did, and it was pretty elementary. You know, I mean, um, yet you know people were telling us left and right, like, oh my god, you know, seeing these pictures really helped me on my path. You know, and and you know when I saw that there's other guys into this, I suddenly felt okay. And it's really cool meeting gentlemen such as yourselves who say like, hey, you know, when I first saw you tied up, you know. Back in 1876, <laughs> I thought, "Hey, it's it's okay for me to, to to like this." So, anyhow, no, the weirdest part was because I was going through one of these websites where you just it's all illegally uploaded porn, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that not that I condone it, but you know that's the world we live in, and you know I was Tumblr. I was horny. And there was a pitch, and there was one, and I think it was called "Let's Tie Up Tommy." Oh my god. <laughs> and I was watching it and it took me a while and I realized I know that person. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean god. that happens to me a lot. Most of my friends are porn stars. So. I, I, let's tie up Tommy. If you blink, you miss me on that one. But it was, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. That was, I, I remember one of the actors in that one was Mason Jar. 
That was his porn name. That's yes. Awesome. Yes. I Mason love it. Jar. He's a great guy, but it's funny because he's straight. And I always Aww. thought that that was a, that, that that was no, it's true. I always thought that that was a rumor. Like, but but really, in in pornography, in heterosexual pornography, the women are the ones that are the and for guys in porn to make good money, they're gay porn. But you do see that a lot. Um, and a copy of Penthouse that he would, you know, jack off to, and then when he was hard, then he would start rolling the cameras. And yeah, the nice guy. It was fun. Yeah. God, let's tie up Tommy. <laughs> You're making me feel so old. <laughs> I've heard that actually quite often. Um, you really don't get much as a straight male porn actor. You. A lot of people I've seen, at least, have started doing more and more gay for pay. It's, I don't know if it's a worrying trend or not, but it still feeds into some interesting fantasies for people. So. Yeah, I know. I, whether, whether people condone pornography or not, it's because of its commercial aspect. I've always been one to argue that pornography plays a very vital role to us as kinksters. Yes. Oh yeah. It, it, um, you know, we may, I mean, I'm not talking about child porn or any of the illegal stuff, but, but mm. the, you know, people just said, oh, you know, that's not real. They're not real players. They're just porn actors. Well, they're playing a very vital role in, you know, waking up our fantasies so that we go out and play with one another. Mm. So, and, you know, certainly my experience in the, in the, the very little that I've done has, was, was fun and, and very, very eye opening. But, uh, you know, people think, oh, it must have been so hot doing that, you know, on the, on the set. I'm like, you have no idea by the eighth hour, you just want the, you just want to like orgasm and get it done with and, and yeah, you've got five people, you know, putting microphones all around you and. There's only so, so much edging you can do. Exactly. It, it, it takes it out of you. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> so. Right. So. So yeah, so you slowly started getting into it, and did you start off as a bottom or a top? Or yeah, I started off as a as a bottom, and which I think everybody does. But it, uh, um, and I would have friends that were also bottoms, and, and we would you know get together and we would tie each other up, and you know we were using like cotton rope that we got from Home Depot and and duct tape, and just you know and doing really really very very simple. Scenes that you would see from like a Batman series, you know, you would like tying each other to the chair and pretending we were burglars and stuff like that. And it was, it was great fun. And, um, I, when I started topping with rope would, I would start to hook up with, uh, other guys on AOL and they were, didn't really know what they were doing. So then I would say, well, here, let me show you. And then suddenly this scene would ensue and they would start calling me, sir. And I found I really, really liked that. So then I would kind of keep going with it. And I found I really enjoyed being, uh, being a bondage top. And, um, at that point, then I started getting a lot more active and a little bit more gutsy in, in playing around with bondage. And there was a, there was a bar when I lived in LA, there was a bar, a leather bar that I loved going to called the Fault Line. And I used to go there with my little bag of rope, um, during like the beer bust and I would, Tie guys up. I, you know, I would like flirt with them, and then they say, "Well, what's in the bag?" I'm like, "I got rope, so I can tie you up." He's like, "Yeah, I dare you to tie." Yep. And then I would start tying them up right there in the bar, and we would have like a little, a little scene. It totally, you know, played into my need for attention. <laughs> um, 
But what that led to is there were there were people present that were part of the various leather groups. Hmm. And, you know, they was that's when I started hearing about this whole Japanese rope bondage thing and the whole uh, uh subculture of shibari and rope hmm. technique and this and that. And then I also started hearing about leather protocols and, and stuff like that. And it was a little I have to say, initially it was very, very alienating because I was just playing. And, but then I suddenly found out about all these rules and protocols and, you know, oh, well, I see that rope, that, that knot you're doing. And then he, he started saying a Japanese word for it. And I'm like, I, okay, is this important? And it, it kind of got pretentious and. I did that, yeah. Yes. And took a lot of the, and I have to say it took a lot of the fun out of it, but I thought, okay, well, I guess I, I guess I'm supposed to learn this stuff if I'm going to be accepted or if I'm going to be allowed to continue playing here in the in the fault line but yes if you want to be allowed to continue to be who you are you must abide by the rules and it's only after you've finished learning all of them that you actually realize oh wait no no one cared yeah it's just this makes it slightly more fun for some people right well you know the, the thing about that boy is that in hindsight i realized a lot of the, the people that were, were, were shunning me or, or very, very judgmental of what I was doing there in the fault line were, you know, the ones that were jealous of the ones of what I was doing. Um, yeah. You know, and people would come up to me afterwards and say, like, oh, you know, don't mind him. He's a bitter old queen. He doesn't get to tie up anybody, and he's just taking it mm-hmm. out on But I did. I took, you know, I, I really I took it personally, and, and mm-hmm. I honestly believe that there was this whole uh, process that I had to go through to earn the right to to play. You know? Oh yes, the elder council must approve of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. You must get your ordained master license. Yeah, and um, I. I also found that there was this whole subculture to the rope that um, was all based on visuals, mm. um, and it was, you know, for lack of a better word, it was very pretentious. You know, it was just like, oh, look at that amazing, you know, body harness they're doing. And then, of course, they would tell me the the Japanese background, you know, of it and significance of it. And I said, yeah, but there's no sex. You know, there's there's nothing sexy happening here. You just you've, you've made these beautiful macrame knots, and that's really what they were. It was macrame. And now you're telling everybody how wonderful you are because you you've you know done this wonderful display. And I and I appreciated what they were, but it was all very, like I said, there wasn't any kind of connection. Yeah. No, you could do that on a mannequin. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, I know some people really enjoy being made into art and put on display like that. So I, I don't mean to, yeah. to dog that, but yeah, it was a real, it's it was different. a real kind of process. Over there. Yeah, <laughs> it's different things though. It's sometimes you want to be made pretty, sometimes you want to be made immobile and fucked like a toy, and they are very, very different things, especially yeah, the, with the rope that you're doing. The sections of the pie graph that you have just mentioned, um, the the second um, section uh, being tied up in fuck silly, that that has a greater percentage in my pie graph. Just so you know, yeah. But, uh, but no, it's a, it's like I said, everyone has their own process with it, and and um, everyone has their own thing that makes them get aroused. It's just when I started out, I I got caught up in thinking, oh, this is what I have to do because it was all about mm. being accepted and being invited and blah 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 blah. All that. Stupid social acceptance that we all get caught up in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so, I mean, so you don't like to do ornamental stuff, so 
What do you? Well, like? I do. I, I do. I, that's not. That's not to say I don't. Um, I I do enjoy doing the ornamental stuff. They're like I. One thing that that does push a button with me. Now I'm a little guy, and every boy I've ever colored has been taller than me, um, including your daddy, Adam. Um, <laughs> it's just it, you know, it, there's a classic dart line saying, uh, "Thank you, boy. Now put me down." Um, <laughs> you know, they, but I really enjoyed putting my ropes on a really, really big muscular guy. You know, that to me, that to me will turn me on. Yes. So, I don't know if it's, it's, um, it just, it's like a symbol of, you know, the, the, the dominance or what have you, or it's just the fact that, you know, a muscular guy tied up is really, really hot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I mean, occasionally I do enjoy the, the ornamentational stuff, but for me it's really just about the connection. So. Okay. Yeah, because I do, in my play, I do like the pa- just that connection of energy you get when someone is tying you up and you're slowly becoming more helpless and the ropes get tighter, and then he starts playing with your body and he responds to your moans and to the way you look on your face. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the hottest scenes I've done is someone just hog-tied me, rolled me onto the side, laid on the bed facing me and just started playing with my nipples and looking into my eyes. Very simple, but just because he never broke eye contact and was constantly looking at my reactions, it... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, go on. Which was your favourite scene? Um, not ever, because then we'll be here all day. Just your favourite scene from the last few months. Gosh. Um... Ah, probably... Uh, from the last few months, it w- was something that happened. Um, God, oh, I have to really rack my brain for this one. <laughs> oh, what okay. One? Who's the last person you tied up most recently? Well, my husband. You know, okay. and we, I mean, we have a playroom here in our house, and and we, you know, if you've ever followed his Tumblr, we we do bondage yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it's um it it's great fun and sometimes sometimes I won't you know I won't know what to do and you know I'll be kind of struggling with this cuz this is this is really the first time I've had an intimate relationship where play has been a regular component of it Aww. you know but, but that's it's it's kind of it's a new thing and I'm like how do you, how do you keep this stuff interesting how do you how do you um you know do you keep revisiting the old stuff and it starts to become routine or do you keep reinventing it um and the thing is, because I'm married to this man and we know each other very well, I can't do the little Sir Dart persona hmm. because, you know, he knows I don't put the cap on the toothpaste and all this other stuff that, <laughs> that you know, he, he knows the real person behind that facade. So it's, it's been this constant like reinvention, like, okay, how do we go into the playroom and do something that we haven't, uh, that we haven't done before? Probably, um, one of the, the the, the most fun that we had recently is there's um there's a, a big bondage party that we went to and there was a uh, a young man who who came with us and we got into this three way but he was he was the sub to to both of us for the for the weekend but our roles you know were kind of flip flopping and at one point I got I, I had on one of my rubber singlets that with a with that zips on the crotch and the backside and I was tied up in a sling and I was taped and I was muzzled and uh the boy was also trussed up. Yes, you've all seen it on Tumblr. And yes, the boy yes, was trussed yes, up with his and, and, and he was forced to he was forced to fuck me. 
and he couldn't he couldn't see me he couldn't say anything um but yeah uh sir bart orchestrated the whole thing and that was really just a fun head trip kind of a experience that yeah oh yeah bondage on bondage sex is really hot yeah i love when i forget who done them but there's this whole series involving basically um stripped down gym machines uh-huh. where they use the weights and pulleys. So two guys were tied that up. And when one pulled, the other one was thrust into their ass. Oh. So basically. Oh, oh. oh my that goodness. That sounds awesome. You need to find it, and you need to share the link with both of us. Yes, please. I will try, but trying to find old porn on the internet is... Um... It's a fun way to spend an afternoon. Yes. You are always surprised by what you find when you try to dig up porn from years ago. Yeah, it's basically predicament bondage fucking, which is... Amazing. Yep. Oh, I think that's pretty heavenly. Just embrace your inner Sherlock, and I'm sure you'll find something. Yeah. <laughs> so. You asked me something earlier, by the way, and I never answered it. You, you, um, you were asking me how this all segued into the teaching. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, that um, I'm trying to remember the first event that I actually taught at, but they, they didn't have anybody else, and they said, "Well, you know, Dart, you seem to know what you're doing. Can you show this small, you know, group of of guys what it was you did?" and I do like to teach. Um, I used to be an instructor with uh, with my previous job, and it. Um, I have to say that was it was a really rewarding experience because when people come to you and they want to learn, you know, the safety aspect and they want to uh, broaden their horizons. And there were people in the class that had oh, wealth more experience than I did. And I thought, why is this person coming to my class? I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't have much experience. But he was telling me afterwards, just like you may know something that I've never seen before, Dart. So he's like, we all are constantly, mm-hmm. constantly learning. Yeah. And then I just kept getting invited to to more and more events to teach. And then I started like expanding my classes and stuff like that. And it just, it became really, really rewarding. So that's, that's how that all uh, came about. And um, it's still one of my absolute, absolute favorite things to do. Okay. I believe you'll be in um, Amsterdam next month. Yeah, we have Leather Pride in Amsterdam, which is something we've been doing every year now for, God, I think it's been six years. Um, and it's still really bizarre to me that Amsterdam feels the need to bring North Americans over to teach them how to do this stuff. Because, you know, if there's anyone who's who's more sexually advanced than anyone in North America, it would be the Dutch. <laughs> but... Um, or many European countries. But, but yeah, it's a little program that we've been doing called the Amsterdam Kink Academy. And it's really, really fun teaching to these guys that have really no sexual hangups whatsoever. They just need the information and they want the information firsthand. They don't want it. They don't want to get it on the internet. They want to see it and they want to feel it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. We really, it's, yeah, it's been a real honor to be able to do that. I can't wait to join you. Yeah, we can't wait to have you. We can't (laughs) wait to have you. I know. (laughs) Okay, so, from bondage on to um, forced appearance changes. Yes, now this is one we all enjoy, and um, I'm beginning to discover it's a lot more common than people might think. I've been hearing that as well. In fact, I haven't been... I mean, people have talked to me one-on-one on recon and stuff like that know about this side of me, but it's something that I sort of was closeted about for a while because I thought it's so... Well, for one thing, I thought it's so tame 
compared to some of the shit that these guys are into. I thought, you know, you know, what's what's hot about what I'm into, you know? And I thought, you know, this is gonna like scare people away because it's silly. Um, but yeah, like it's like you're saying, you're finding out more and more people are into it. It's like, oh, okay, we well, I guess we can explore this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, shall we? For the audience who may not know what we're talking about, let's give an example. Say. Okay, well, my very first ever bondage experience, I was tied down by a boy I'd met online, and he trimmed off all of my body hair to make me look more like the slaves that we had both fantasized about together online. (laughs) That would be a very basic example. Yeah, that's one of the most common ones, is shaving. Shaving body hair. Yes. Um, My favourite one is... uh, the hair on the head. Mm-hmm. Force barbershops, force haircuts, giving someone, turning someone into a skinhead or giving them a mohawk. Yeah. Especially if they start off very prim and proper, if like they've got the businessman comb over, side mm-hmm. passing comb over, to then take that very staunch, proper look and then just rip that off and turn them into something else. That's quite a big thing for me. Yeah. I was a I was a collar boy to a man uh, by the name of Sir Macias, who I've interviewed on my podcast a, a few years ago, and he's um, uh, I still and I still have been in contact with him, and he um, is was it was it, he played a very amazing role in my life and my development, and um, a lot a great deal that I've learned and a great deal of my growth can be attributed to the, the time that I was collared to him for the three years, and he was very very much into uh, haircuts and. Uh, forced appearance changes, and he would uh, dictate what kind of hairstyle and what kind of facial hair I was to have, and it was so fucking hot. I mean, I, and there were times where I mean, there was times where my head was completely shaved. Uh, there was times where I had a military high and tight. I've had mutton chops. Uh, I had a handlebar. I've had a Fu Manchu. You know, all within the confines of what I was allowed at work, but it was just, there was something really hot about looking in the mirror and not recognizing myself and knowing that it was because I was, yeah, because I was being controlled by another man. And we also played around with fake facial hair, which was, um, that's, you know, now that's venturing into what some might call a little silly, but when, when he did it with me, there was a, a bar up where he used to live in upstate New York, and I cannot remember the name of the damn bar. It was, very small, very hole in the wall, and very dark. And I remember he took me out um, one time with a fake mustache, crazy glued to my face. And because the bar was so dimly lit, and I think half the guys were inebriated anyway, they couldn't really tell. But I was very, very aware. And there was um, it tapped into humiliation mm-hmm. play, where it is all so and and that just like pressed such a button uh, with me so will be another example yeah, I mean that that is pretty hot because I mean again it can be very based on uh, humiliation mm-hmm it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, well, there's the humiliation aspect and there's also the submission aspect. With me, I, I see it almost as like 
you're giving up a part of yourself as a submission to the person you're subbing to. So you're giving up your appearance, you're giving up your hair, you're giving up your clothing, you're giving up a bit of decision-making. Um, it's It can be an act of devotion as well as an act of humiliation. Well, I mean, why not both? I mean, we live in a day and age where appearances are very constructed, and it's got built into them all these social signals where just your appearance will tell someone about you. Right. If, like, I mean... Well, there was that image that went round the internet a while back of this one man, shaved head, no facial hair, covered in tattoos, um, wearing a vest shirt, and the exact same image in the exact same pose and the exact same facial expression, wearing a shirt with a collar, tie, and a lab coat, um, just to try and make people more aware of the um, of the social structure around different appearances, different clothing, what we associate tattoos with, and how it's not necessarily an accurate representation of the entirety of the person. Yeah, yeah. and by taking that away from person, you're really taking away a big freedom that they have. And it's it's really only once you start to think about it, you really realize how much being able to decide parts of your own appearance, what a big impact that can have. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm trying to imagine what would happen if someone stuck a mustache on me and it took me around the bar. <laughs> well, you've got some pretty, uh, you've got some pretty intense mutton shops there, uh, so that w- those would have to uh, be eliminated first and foremost. But I had the uh, so much time on my beard, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so cute. I, it suits you so well. The uh, there's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> there's a good friend of mine who uh, she used to be a professional dominatrix, and she had numerous male clients who liked being. Um, what she would call forced feminization, mm-hmm. where she would actually dress, she would dress, dress them up in drag and take them out with her uh, to the bar and refer to refer to them as as her girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and I, I remember uh, seeing uh, one gentleman customer with her, and I was you know, supposed to interact with the gentleman based on the the female name that that uh, he or she was given, and. You know, I have to say, I, I didn't understand it, but it was so clear that the gentleman in the drag was having fun. Hmm. Like, you could so tell in his eyes that, judge me for however you want, but I am getting balanced out by doing this. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know his history. I don't know if he had a wife and kids and stuff like that. I do. But... The, the fact is, is that it just did something for him to be able to briefly engage in this particular space and to have this done to him and then to return back to, to the rest of his life with, you know, knowing that that button had been pushed. And that's, I think that's really, really fascinating to me. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the big shaving scenes I've done is someone who wanted a full body shave and they wanted to go out as a skinhead. Hot. Uh, yeah. And 
mean, it was a bit of a disaster. I missed parts on his legs. I didn't realise you can't use a facial razor for hair let. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it went all right. But you can, you just have to be very, very aware of it. Um, it Trust me, it clogs up really quickly and blunts yeah. really quickly. <laughs> but anyway, you know, live and learn. But for him, it was a very powerful experience. And he was pretty much shaking when he looked in the mirror afterwards. Really? And you can see this big flood of emotions as he just looked and didn't immediately recognize himself. And yeah. Yeah. seeing himself as a new person. Um, some people close to me, um, and you're one of those people, Craig, um, are familiar with the connection I have to Circus Strongman. Yeah. And I had, and I had the pleasure of doing, um, a really good friend of mine, Michelle Shertuck, has a, who's a photographer, has a photo series right now called, uh, Waking Dreams, where I got to actually play out, um, this, this idolizing of a, of a, a Circus Strongman. Mm-hmm. And it was a really, I mean, the nature of the, what the what the photo series is about is it's it's um, a person portraying being photographed in a dreamlike representation of how they see themselves in the world. I think that's the best way I can describe it. And you know, it's how how would you always want to be in your dreams? You know, what's what's your fantasies of how you walk in the world? Mm. And I don't know why, but I've always had this thing for for circus strongmen um, and. To actually look like one um, was—I have no idea—but I just, you know, pressed a major button. And I remember the whole process of getting ready for it and and shaving my head and my beard, which was really, really, really shocking and <laughs> not very, uh, not very enjoyable. Fortunately, my hair grows really, really fast. Um, and then, you know, wearing the, the the gigantic black handlebar and then wearing the skin tight um, red rubber singlet and boots. And then going down to Coney Island, where there were just thousands and thousands of people, and being dressed like that for for the for the photo session, I can't understand it, but I was completely aroused. It was a really, really big um, button that was being pushed with me because I I don't know it just um, it, it was it was such a different exterior, and people were interacting with me based on that exterior. And some people actually thought I was part of the park. So in between our little photo shoots, people were coming up with their children and asking if they could pose with me. And <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit, you know, here I was wearing, like, like thick latex, and they're like, oh, you're part of the park. I'm like, um, you sure? sure. Yeah, no problem. Why sure, not? let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's one of those things, I don't try to understand it, I don't need to logically, intellectually know what the basis of it is, and it's certainly not something I try to cure. I just know that it presses a really, really big button um, with me. And I don't want to look like that 24-7, but it's just... Um, and and But, you know, like, well, how do I say that? It's like, you know, I'm into all these other like really heavy, kinky stuff, and you meet these people that are into, like, you know, fisting and pissing and ranch and, and all this other stuff, and then you tell them, well, yeah, I want to be dressed up like a strong man. That would really, really be hot to me. They'd look at you, and they think... Well, that's so incredibly silly and tame. It's well, it's just like my make, you know. I would um, compare it with I like dressing up like a dog and being led around on a leash. I don't. We have. It's a very similar idea. Um, in the changing well, like appearances, too, the so changing personalities, the changing <laughs> of the way that you behave around people, and if you can introduce it 
puppy play has become such a big thing recently that most people have at least got an understanding of it. So if you're really struggling to um, communicate getting across to someone um, the different, the changing in appearance, you can sort of lead it in with that. Yes, and I think there are people that feel more inclined to explore that side of them because there is now a community. They're seeing mm. other people that are portraying themselves that's in agreement with what they want to feel. So if you're someone that wants to dress up like a dog and be led around on a leash, and I enjoy that as well, well, it doesn't take long to find other men and women that, that enjoy the exact same thing. So suddenly you're able to tell yourself, oh, it's okay for me to do this, and there are people that will welcome me into that. Hmm. You know, some of this other stuff that we've been talking about with the with the appearance changes, I think there's a little bit more trepidation because we don't necessarily feel a community. You know, we we don't we don't have parties. You know, where there's forced transformations or something like that. You know, crossdressers might feel that, but yeah, uh, but it's not a set out community. It's like I always learned this when, um, as you know, and Adam knows, I have a huge hip. Hypnotism fetish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, um, for the longest time, I didn't tell my boyfriend about. Mm-hmm. And when I did, he's like, well, why didn't you tell me? You told me about, like, you like licking boots on a Friday night, and you like bondage, and you get turned on by guys in leather. Why didn't you tell me this? And I thought, well, I thought you'd think I'm weird. Yeah. And he had the best response, which is, Craig, you are weird, and I love you. That's what yeah. makes you special. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I mean, my husband Bart's the same thing. You know, it, it, when I first decided I wanted to be a pup, cause I was, you know, I was a pup handler for so long, and then out of the blue, I believe it's a virus that stays dormant for a very, very long time, and then it comes <laughs> out all of a sudden, and I have no idea, cause it's just really, really fucking fun, and I absolutely love, you know, romping around, and I hate to admit that, but it really is fun. But I felt so, like, I mean, this is a man that, that I, I I mean, I've cried profusely on his shoulder over my insecurities and, you know, I mean, he has seen me at my weakest and yet afraid to tell him that I want to be a pup. So it, I think there's a lot of guys that go through that. It's not that they want to be, it's not that they want to cheat on their partner, it's that their partner knows them so well, they don't want to be judged, you know? Yeah. And it's, and that's exactly how, you know, I mean, how he responded to the same thing. He's like, I love you and I love what makes you happy. And yes, let's, let's figure out how to make this happen for you. Hmm. So then we'll probably figure out the strongman thing as well. You know, that's, yeah. it's, it, it, like I said, it's a new experience being with someone that, that you're intimate with, with that have played with a regular basis. Yeah. I look forward to one day seeing you in a mustache and a strongman outfit. Well, you've I think seen that'd the, be a sight to see. You've seen the you've seen you've seen the pictures, Craig. It was uh, oh yes, yeah. Yes. It was. Um, I look forward to getting to see it in person one day. Maybe oh, I'm not sure soon. Will. We'll see. I'm sure you will. Well, if you come to Amsterdam, you will get to see the pup. <laughs> Yay! Yes, pup, pup Jet will be making a, an appearance. So that's uh, <laughs> something I'm really kind of excited about. So. I mean, one of the other things I like, um, something I've noticed with like your leather family photos, your boys dress exactly like you. You've all got the same shirtless leather top. You all look quite uniform. Uh, well, that's. Uh, I think you're talking about the picture from our wedding. Is yeah, it? I, it could be because Bart and I were dressed. Now, when when Bart and I first got married, 
um, he was my boy, which is funny because Bart's Adam, and so is your daddy, Adam. But yet they're, you know, but yet they were both collared to me. And the majority of you know men that get collared to me are, are Doms that want to explore their subside. I don't know what it is, but um, so, but yeah, so so Bart and I were wearing the exact same um, sleeveless leather thing, and then um, Wild Colored came to be his best man, and he also wore uh, the same thing. So I think what you saw was the, was the picture from the reception. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, I'm not one of those people that say, oh, we all have to dress alike. You know, this is, uh, we, can, we can embrace a little individuality. <laughs> but uh, See, I kind of like that being turned into, again, going back to Forced Identity, basically being turned into a copy of your dog. Having to ah, okay. Very close and similar to them, and dress the same, same facial hair, and just sort of really, yeah. And that turns a very specific button for me because not only is it stripping away your identity, it's sort of enhancing theirs. So it's sort of like ah, okay, yeah, I can get it. Yeah, I can <laughs> see the appeal. Mm-hmm. I'm not yet ready to shave my head. No, not completely. No. It's pretty short there, though, boy. I mean, it's... Yeah, well, it's pretty much a mohawk, so... Yeah, well, yeah. it's still fluffy enough that you can pet it. And that's the important <laughs> bit for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, now, you on the other hand, Craig, I think you'd look fantastic with the shaved head. I'm just kind of, like, stroking my beard as I'm picturing this right now. Hmm. I'm just saying, you know, these are seeds that get planted. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I know. Hey, different. It's it's like what I always say on my on my podcast. It with some of this stuff, it's like trying to understand why you like the taste of black licorice. You know, and a lot of my classes, I'll ask, all right, now how many of you you know like black licorice? And probably about half the the class will raise their hand. And then those people that have raised their hands, I'll say, okay, now what is it? And people that the people that like black licorice, they love black licorice, especially the Europeans, because you guys get really really good licorice, um, especially in Finland. <laughs> and and I'll, then I'll ask, okay, well, why, why do you like black licorice? You know, is it because you had an absence of a father figure as you were growing up, and as a result of the patriarchal environment that you're in, your mom had to compensate? You know, it, like it starts to get really, really silly. But there are people that try to understand their fetishes with the same kind of intellects. And I always say, well, what are you gonna, I mean, okay, so you wind up understanding it. Are you going to try to cure yourself, or you know? See, I take a very different approach to it. It's this has come from having a vanilla boyfriend. I've often had to try and explain what makes a fetish hot um, mm-hmm. when trying to try things out in the bedroom. And it kicked off this thing in me where I like to basically open up people and see what's in their brains. And I like to get at the root of a fetish just because then I can know, right, it ha- it's that note and that note and that note and that's what turns you on. And I can then use it to enhance the experience. For me, deeper understanding of a fetish is not to cure it. Why would you want to do that? It's to, you know, to really enhance it and get to the core of the meat of the subject. Yes. Okay, well, I, I can understand that. Um, yeah. You know, I, that, which would probably lead to the play being even more fulfilling yeah. or being able to add more dimensions to it. So, yeah, I can certainly, uh, I can yeah. certainly understand that. I mean, I can get... Because we live in a world where a lot of people psychoanalyze us and, you know. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's what it is to be a human being. Yeah. It's but they do it with the expected intent of, there is something wrong with you, why is there something wrong with you? Mm-hmm. 
Like, sure. No, there's nothing wrong with us. It's just this is how we are. Mm-hmm. With uh, I have to ask you, Craig, because you have a, um, a vanilla boyfriend. Mm-hmm. With um, so you have elements of play on the outside. One of the things, and this actually may surprise people, is I struggle with jealousy. And in my relationship, we are just now starting to open up and have experiences outside of each other. And it's, it's kind of wild. I mean, like, I'll just, I'll say we, we had an experience uh, a while back where my husband fucked a boy up in the, up in the, the bedroom while I was busy doing something else. And I just was all excited and happy that he was enjoying himself. And it was, I had to like take a step back and think, I'm supposed to be jealous now. Why, 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 why am I not getting that weird nauseated feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, get, I felt very adult. I felt very, wow, I've really evolved. Sir Dart, after 25 years, finally isn't feeling jealousy. How interesting. How do you, how do you guys deal with it? Um, in um, your relationship? Mostly A with talking and B, we have some very clear gut, um, rules to follow, like, even though I can have regular play partners and, you know, because a lot of them are my friends, um, it has to remain just friendship and just play partners. I can't be constantly giving so much attention to someone. Sure. You know, just space it out and just clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just having that structure in place to know he's my boyfriend. No one's going to replace him in that respect. Yeah. You know, everyone else plays their different role, but... That's his role. Mm-hmm. And I believe what he was experiencing is compersion. Because mm-hmm. it was very fun. My boyfriend the other day is talking to my best friend, my big brother, uh, <laughs> um, Pete. And they started having little play chat sessions between themselves. And he's like, is this all right? Is this all right? I don't want to step in touch. And it's like, no, I really like the fact that you and him are playing together. Yeah. yeah. More please with pictures. <laughs> Yeah. Don't forget the pictures. In fact, here, let me set up this video camera. Now go. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it actually touched a nerve, and I think I may be develop- developing a bit of a cuckolding fetish, but... Yeah. Oh, I just like boyfriend porn. Yeah. I wrong. enjoy sex with my boyfriend. I find my boyfriend sexy. I find my boyfriend having sex sexy. Let's see more of my boyfriend having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. Oh. Yeah. Again, I mean, jealousy is one of those emotions where it's not actually its own emotion, it's a cover emotion. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people, when they get angry, it's often as a protection response to feeling insecure or hurt or in pain. When you're feeling jealous, there's often a deeper reason for it. Like you sure. feel like you're lacking something or you're, you're afraid that you're going to lose something. Right. And it's one of the, uh, I had mentioned my, uh, I mean, I guess I'll just be a lot more transparent here. When I was collared to, uh, Sir Micaiah's now I was with him for uh, a good three years. And one of the things that really led to, to, I don't want to say the failure of the relationship because it's not a failure, but, but where we evolved to the point where he eventually had to release me, uh, one of the, the demons I had to contend with was my jealousy of when he took on another boy. And it, I remember how, um, I've got to think back on this, how, for lack of a better word, how childish, um, and I don't want to say childish as an acting juvenile, I mean like how childhood based, the fear 
came up and it it felt very very real based on a childhood based fear and um you know it led me to 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 unfortunately push you know push you know cause alienation mm-hmm. and um yeah, talk about like like what you know what's behind it, like like a fear of abandonment or fear of something you know precious being taken away that wasn't based on reality. Hmm. Yeah, but that a lot of it is because we're trained with there's like only a certain amount of love to go around, there's only a certain amount of tension to go around, mm-hmm. and you worry if someone takes a similar role to you that they're going to get all that love or attention or devotion that was previously given to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So, but I don't. But at the same time, like we, I talk about how the relationship was not a failure. Mm. I, I learned so much of having gone to that dark place and and having it revealed to me and seeing just how inappropriate my behavior and my my thought patterns were back then. That I don't have to go there again. You know, I'm like, you know, actually, this is this is not this family. This is me, um, and this is. This is why I'm getting this result. So maybe it's time for me to finally you know, put this demon to rest. Hmm. So yeah, it's just one of those one of those candid things that you don't hear us Dom talk about. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, people I think often forget nowadays is that proper growth and like spiritual growth and mental growth is going to be a painful process. It's not inspiring quotes on your Facebook wall, it's getting down into the nitty-gritty of your soul and really having to wade through the mud in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, how deep. <laughs> okay. Well, so. so, we always like to talk about safety measures on our podcast, if we're introducing people to a new oh, sure. mm-hmm. And I have to say, a lot of them for, like, appearance changes would be psychological. Because again, humiliation, you're stepping outside yourself, it can have unintended psychological consequences. Mm-hmm. And there's always the work considerations as well. Oh yeah, if you can't go in, can't go into work Monday morning with a three foot red mohawk and piercings out, you know, suddenly it's... No, no. So... You know, as hot as it is in the porn stories where people get forcefully tattooed and piercings, um, permanent changes probably aren't good. No. Yeah, even um, when I shaved my head and my beard, when I went back to work, um, now my hair grows really, really fast, but nobody recognized me. And, um, yeah, it was... uh, you know, people were like, I, I don't, I don't want to say like, oh, people thought I was going through uh, cancer treatment or something like that, because it, you know, they didn't. But, but it, it was very, very jarring to people. And um, yeah, you do have to sort of account for, you know, maintaining a certain work ethic with that kind of stuff. But um, you had a question about safety. Yeah, just um, safety measures people need to un- to consider when they're undertaking this. Well, uh, are you talking about from for bondage and? The, the the transformation or 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 well both? yes we okay. didn't we didn't cover it in bondage so we should <laughs> well uh, let me let me take a step back because this is this is one thing I say and uh, when I when I teach or if I'm mentoring somebody you can't be safe enough it it you could spend 
an hour talking about safety, or you could spend a whole week giving a seminar about safety and still not cover everything that can happen. Because what we do is dangerous. I mean, what we do has has an element of risk, and that's one of the things that makes it hot, I think. I think if you go into it knowing that that's possible and it's more on how you respond to it, you're going to be much, much better equipped than to come in from a prevention, this should never, ever happen on my watch kind of a thing. Um, I mean, yes, you should always take preventative measures. I'm not, I'm not saying don't keep that stuff in mind, uh, especially from a first aid standpoint. But I've had some things happen to me where it really like, oh, my God, I've done this so many times. Why is this suddenly happening? And... The only thing that, that, you know, made me save face was how I responded. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the a prime, prime example. And I hate telling, I hate telling this story, but, but I might as well. The very first time I taught in Amsterdam, there was a club there. It's not there anymore, but it's called Club Fux, F-U-X-X-X. And I did a, um, that evening they had me do a demonstration of, of suspension right there in the bar. And I was using this uh, young man who um, I'd used in the, the class earlier that day. And I this was a suspension I had done hundreds of times. I mean, I knew it backwards and forwards. And um, uh, I dropped him. And I dropped him on his head, and his head cracked open. And it was bad. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. He, he, I mean, he bled. And it was in a bar, so it was extremely visual. And, and, and the guy was, was okay. He's like, he's like, let's, let's just get out of here so we don't make a scene, you know. Uh, and I'm like, you're getting blood everywhere. And I, I, to this day, I still don't know what happened. I still don't know what I missed. But I missed something as a result of having done this over and over and over again. Well, the guys there in the bar, they didn't care what happened. They wanted to know what I was going to do right then and there. And fortunately, I do know first aid. I'm like, okay, first of all, let's, let's get him out here. Let's, let's, I need, you know, I need some, some hot water and I need ice to put on this. And, um, you know, he's going to probably need stitches. He had a concussion, which I, to this day, I feel, uh, absolutely horrible about. And, and, you know, it was interesting because, um, I contacted him about a week later when he, because he actually went to the hospital. And I contacted him a week later, just, you know, offering again my apologies to anything that I could do to, to you know, pay his bills and all that. And this is what Amsterdam and was very different than what we might have here in the United States or even in the UK. You know, he said, look, I chose to do this scene with you. I was well aware that something could happen. And I'm well aware that shit can happen. So, you know, I said, I'm not going to sue you or anything like that. I'm telling you, if that had happened in the United States, I would have been flamed on that life and, you know, being a, a, an irresponsible dominant. So, um, and, and by the way, I've never done a suspension since. Um, I just won't. I can't, I, I can't revisit it. I mean, probably one of these days I'll, I'll be brave enough to try it again, but it's just, it's, I'm too ashamed. I'm too ashamed about what happened and I'm, I'm too afraid of repeating the same mistake that I will, I won't be able to enjoy myself. Hmm. So, and I've just outed myself to all your listeners. The, what I want people to take away from that is no matter how skilled or prepared you might believe yourself to be, you still don't necessarily have all available data until something goes down. So be prepared 
for something to happen really, really fast that you were not expecting, and it's your response that is going to at least enable you to save face. Um, and that would be like from a first aid standpoint. Don't don't spend time trying to defend yourself. Well, I did this and I did that, and you know I really do know what I'm doing. They don't care. You know the the, the bottom simply wants to know what are you going to do to take care of this mistake that has just now ensued. Mm-hmm. And that's that's probably the most important. That's it's probably the the, the 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 most humbling thing that you can maintain when you go into a scene is knowing that you're not Superman, and um, shit can happen. And when it happens, it can happen really, really bad. And mm-hmm. and none of us are exempt from uh, from doing that. So that's my big safety message. No, that's. I think that's one of the best ones we've had on the show. Yeah. Oh, it sucked. Let me just tell you. Oh, it was the most horrible, horrible thing I've ever gone through. Um, mm. To, uh, but but I I learned something really really valuable from it, and um, it it humbled me. It cured me of my ego. Um, and like I said, it just it put me in the mindset. This is it doesn't matter how many times I've done this, shit can still happen, and it can happen really really fast. So that's probably the best advice I would give, you know, to, to other people. And that includes from a psychological standpoint. I mean, I'm talking about the force transformation thing. You know, you don't know what a person's demons are behind their tough exterior. And sometimes the person doesn't know their own demons until now they've been, now, now they've been triggered and they're out there and, you know, you're, you're the dom. Yeah. And they're and they're turning to you to to solve this this issue that's come up. Well, none of us are trained psychologists. None of us are trained in in trauma response. So I don't have specific answers, but you need to know that okay, so something has come up. Let's respond somehow. Let's let us know I'm here. We'll work through this together. Um, I will I will not abandon you. I'll see this to the end. Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean. Something I think people need to realize more often is as careful as you are, mistakes will happen. Yeah. It's how you handle that. It's like, I've been in a um, situation where someone assumed something about me and went a little too far. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, I told them, and they were horrified. They didn't realize, and we talked through it, and mm-hmm. they learned from it, and it was good for me knowing that they, you know, understood that. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've, and I've made mistakes. Um, when I first was learning to flog, I kind of went a little too hard too soon. Mm. And, um, yeah, and then he had to say stop and you're doing this wrong. And, you know, it was a big humbling learning experience, like you oh. said, is... Mistakes will happen. Yeah, and I think it's very easy to get caught up in it, it, being being a leather man, being a leather sir. There's it, it you know. We, uh, how do I put this? It's designed to inflate your ego. You know, when you're when you're sitting there wearing that mirror cap and everyone is addressing you as sir, and everyone's you know like you know uh, speaking all these accolades and endeavors that you've accomplished and. You know, you're wearing that skin-tight leather, and it's making you look hot, and you've got boys on their knees licking your boots. Well, it starts to become really, really easy for ego to be inflated and to to just be enamored with yourself. And I've done that many, many times. And you then fall into the trap of thinking you are infallible 
um, or not capable of making a mistake. And when you, when other people see you being arrogant and, and very high on yourself, they thrive on seeing you being knocked down a notch. And that's the danger because when you make a mistake, of course, you want your community to support you and, and resurrect you. And if you've alienated yourself from them by, you know, getting all caught up in your own self-importance, uh, when you do make a mistake, you find yourself standing alone in your own humility. So and I, I think that's one thing you have to really, you know, guard yourself. I, it's it's a lesson I learn ongoingly um, that... Uh, you know, none of us are infallible, and um, you know we're going to continue to make mistakes, and we can either let it bury us or we can choose to evolve. How's that for my somber message? <laughs> oh well, you know. I think you need a tiara for that one. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. No. Okay, maybe a little, maybe a little one, maybe a little one. So. <laughs> a tiarette. <laughs> no, that's <fascinating>. just <laughs> Yeah. Talking. Have you got any further with your little neocat fascinator? I haven't yet. I'm going to have to keep looking. Just a tiny little neocat worn as a fascinator. Oh really? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I've got too big a head. Caps don't oh. normally fit me, so we've decided that since wearing it at a jaunty angle is going to be already pretty damn camp, I might as well go full camp and just have a little fascinator. <laughs> um, I remember when I was first presented with my mirror cap, and it was when I was living in Canada, and they they, they bought... I have a kind of weird-shaped head as well, and they bought the mirror cap without measuring my head um, uh, efficiently. So there was this big, you know, community brunch thing and, and, you know, they brought Dart up to be, you know, formally, uh, covered as a, as a sir. And sir Machias was there and, you know, it was, a, there was all the big to do and, and the, the mirror cap was really, really big and it kind of looked like I was wearing a leather chef's hat. <laughs> so I put it on and then I took it off and I'm like, oh, thank you everyone. I just want to thank the community because I wanted to keep the laughter from, I finally got one that fit me right, but yeah, just, uh, so, ah, oh, that's brilliant, and it does tie into our last podcast about um, the collaring and capping ceremonies. Yeah, mm. they never go to plan. <laughs> well, I, there's a lot of people that think that there was a, there's a specific script that these things are supposed to follow, and what I've learned is is maybe they maybe they didn't exist like we thought they did. And, but we can, but we can create them, you know, to be the way we want them to be. And, you know, like I, like I said, I love what you guys have talked about in that one podcast about your collars. You can, we can kind of do this how we want. We don't have to follow, um, these rigid rules of, of tradition if it doesn't serve us anymore. I think if a tradition is meant to stick around, it's because it serves a, a it serves a purpose for advancement. Hmm. But I think there's some traditions that are just kind of outdated. I mean, I don't curtsy to women anymore, and I don't think women want me to do that. That's an outdated tr- tradition. Um, yeah, I, mean, this I think there's a lot of things in the leather community, too. That need to be. Oh, yeah. it's The thing with tradition is they probably had a point at some point. It's like this whole thing about a lot of the lectivist stuff in the Bible, like not eating shrimp and pork, 
<laughs> it was basically health and safety rules. Yeah, yeah. They were a desert community. You can't have seafood because it spoils too easily, and you can't mix your cottons with your other fabrics because you'd overheat in the day. Mm-hmm. They, they, act, they sound crazy nowadays, but they used to have a point to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Again, what, like you said, what we do is dangerous. Yeah. And if traditions about learning how to do it from a sir, you know, learning from people that already know how to do it and one-on-one mentorship instead of reading it off a web page or a YouTube video can be very important for safety. Yeah, yeah. But you can't say, oh, you're not a sir because you've not trained this many years under this many sirs and started as a sub. No, that's going too far. You can't... I don't want my sex life regulated that way. No, you can't. you can't intellectually understand... Um, your sexual component, and you certainly can't force it to follow a, a timeline. You know, I I couldn't tell my hormones. Right, we need to start off strictly as a sub, and then we can only become a sir when we have gone to the community and been presented with the cap. Then my dick can get hard at the idea about dominating somebody. That's you know that's ridiculous. It, so no, it doesn't work like that. No. Thank God. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm finding increasingly these days people start off one way and they tend to cross over into the other. Mm-hmm. The amount of sirs I've met that have started subbing a lot and the amount of subs that have slowly discovered that maybe they have a dom- dommy and sadistic streak buried within them. Yeah. And it's fun to see, as they evolve, they cross over into the opposite roles. And yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. Why not? You know, it just yeah. it broadens, broadens your experience. So. Yeah. Why limit yourself? You're just denying yourself more fun. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so... So, yeah. So, I think that's covered everything for a good introduction for it. I think we've covered a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for having this talk. This, is, uh, this has been awesome. Brilliant. Well, it's been great, and I can't wait to see you in Amsterdam. I can't wait to see you as well, boy. And I promise I won't suspend you. I don't do that anymore, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think we've learned from that. No, it's all good. No, just being tied up and electrocuted. (laughs) So much safer. (laughs) So, yes, for me, I I, I, I agree. Yeah, much more fun to engage in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, yes, I'm Craig. I'm Adam. And that's goodbye from us. Hi, folks. Craig here. Just wanted to say, if you wish to write in, to give us um, opinions, feedback, or even show suggestions, you can email us at kinkboyspodcast at gmail.com. That's kinkboyspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook forward slash kinkyboyspodcast. And we have a Twitter at kinkyboyspod. You can reach us at any of these, and we're... Very welcoming for any feedback, suggestions, or show ideas. If you wish to appear on the show talking about a very particular fetish you may have, please feel free to write in.